I'm going to do something that I did when I, was a, when I was a youth, and it's a phrase that has stuck with me since then, so hopefully it sticks with you. And so I'm going to say something, and you're going to respond. It's kind of like our liturgy, except there's going to be nothing on the screens, so you have to memorize it. So I'm going to say, God is good, and you'll say, all the time. Some of you guys know this, and I'll say, all the time, God is good. Let's try that again. God is good, and all the time, say it like you mean it, God is good, and all the time, Amen. We're going to put that to the test this morning. We are going to be entering into the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, uh, we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Habakkuk. And what we see in this book is absolutely incredible. We get to, we get to peer into the prayer life between one of God's prophets and himself. And it's not, it's not a minor prophet that he's speaking these words to his nation. This is a personal prayer journal that we now have access to thousands of years later. And we wonder, why did God preserve this for us? And what's incredible is Habakkuk asks really tough questions of God, and God answers. Now, what I love about Habakkuk is that he's, he's kind of like the psalmist and that he's kind of schizophrenic. And so on one page, he's going to say stuff like, like, How long, O Lord, will you forsake me? And then the next, very next page, But you know, no, 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 never mind, I trust you, I trust you. And then it will say things like, like, how could you? But again, you know what? You're holy. You're holy. But, but wait, you're holy. <laughs> that means, how could you? And so it just kind of goes back and forth. And, he, and he, I love it because it makes me feel like myself. If you think about your own prayer life, you're thinking like, oh, I love God. He is so good. I cannot believe he did that to me. <laughs> We go back and forth with God like that. And that is, a, our, is us. If you've spent any time in, in the Christian faith for long enough, there's times when you feel like you're sitting between two chairs and you're on one and God's on the other. And you, you feel like he's praying, you're talking to him right there. And maybe very few of us, and very few times. And at other times, you feel like you're just praying to a brick wall. And you're thinking, hello? Hello, God, are you there? Today, we're going to find out what happens when God responds. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Habakkuk 1, 1, 1 through 2, 1. The oracle of Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and will you not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather, they gather captives like sand. 
At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at, the, at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask you would give us ears to understand this, eyes to see what Habakkuk sees, uh, wake our hearts up to, to what you have to say to us this morning, that it's not Slim's words or my interpretations, but God, that you would speak to us this morning. We want to hear from our maker, and we ask that you would speak through your word to us this very day, and we pray this in your heavenly name, amen. All right, so Habakkuk, uh, the word Habakkuk, his name, actually the Hebrew word means embrace. Uh, it, it, it could mean embraced by God, but it really, it, not just the embrace like a hug, it means embrace like, like a wrestle. And so Habakkuk himself is a wrestler, uh, one who, who wrestles with God. And so when you wrestle, sometimes if you guys have wrestled before, uh, you enter into this contract with the people you wrestle with, that I'm going to... I'm going to enter this contract that I fully admit I'm doing something very stupid. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to end in crying and things like that. That's how it goes in my family. Um, so he's wrestling with the Lord. And sometimes when you wrestle, you get your, your neck pinched. Or sometimes you get something stepped on. Or sometimes you get punched in the gut. And Habakkuk is about to get punched in the soul. And that's what I love about Habakkuk is that he is a wrestler. And he wrestles with God with this gritty honesty. Right? And it's just, he's gritty in the way he, he, he says, I'm not going to just look away. I will look at the, the painful atrocities in my day. I'm going to see the ugliness and the underbelly of a nation, and I can't just stay silent about it. And so he's wrestling with God, and he's asking, why? And so what, why, is, why is Habakkuk crying? All right, so there are three main powers at the time of this in 609 B.C., this is probably the first time we've ever had a map in this church. <laughs> Usually you've got Jeff be like, somewhere over here. I don't know what he's pointing at. Um, so maybe this will be helpful, maybe not. But you have the Assyrians. They're, 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 they're the king of the hill at the time. Uh, but they're, they're on the decline. And the Assyrians are the ones uh, who are who already taken Israel, the northern kingdom, into captivity. Then you have the Babylonians. 
We'll hear more about them, but they're, they're the new kids on the block, um, and they are, they are fierce and ferocious. But then you also have Egypt, which we know about. And Egypt is about to ask the king of Judah, that's where our story ties in, if he can pass through their land to take on the Assyrians. And so the king of Egypt, or the pharaoh, Necho II, asks the king of Judah, which is a guy named Josiah at the time, if he could pass through his land to take on the Assyrians. Now, let's figure out who Josiah is. Josiah was this man, he was, he was probably the, one of the very few, few good kings uh, that the, the, the land had. His granddad was evil. His dad was evil. And they die. And at the age of eight years old, he is made king of a whole nation. And that's one year past Knox, uh, my, my Knox, thinking like, you're in charge of the nation. Figure it out. Like, that is phenomenal. Like, we'll put the hopes of our nation in you, uh, in this eight-year-old. But then eight years later, when he's just old enough to get his driver's license, uh, he, he, he finds the law of God accidentally. He stumbles upon the law of God accidentally and says, oh, no, we've been wrong. I mean, things were so bad in Judah that they didn't even know where the law was. They didn't worship in the temple. They didn't celebrate the Passover. They didn't, they didn't go to the temple. And you have this 16-year-old boy who is bringing the whole nation back to God. And that's what he does, that he brings this huge revival so that everyone then repents and turns back on their sin and comes back to God. And it's this phenomenal thing. And you're thinking, as a youth, God will never use me. I'm only 16 years old. Apparently, he does. He uses teenagers, parents, as well, right? He uses them, and he brings this great revival. All right, so but then you have Egypt. We can take the map down. And you have Egypt who, who asks permission to stir something up with the Assyrians and says, may I pass through your land to get to the Assyrians? And Josiah, the king of Judah, says, uh, maybe uh, could you try going around? I don't know if that's what he said, but he said no, right? He said, no, I think you going through my nation will actually be very uh, hard on my nation as your, your warriors stomp through and so then Egypt says, you know what? If you're not going to let us fight Assyria, we'll fight you. Then we'll get to Assyria. And so then Egypt takes on Josiah. And Josiah is the, the man of the people. You know, most kings, when they fight other nations, they sit in the back. And you've seen this in movies. They sit in the back uh, on their horse with their chariot, and they're protected. That's not Josiah. Josiah is the man of the people. And he wants to get down and be a foot soldier and grapple with men and you know, punch them in the face. Uh, but Josiah, sadly, is killed as you might expect a foot soldier would be. So this great revival, all that God is doing, and you think, what's going on? What's going to happen? What, what, what change will happen? So then one of Josiah's sons be, is named king, and then the king of Egypt says, I don't like him. We're going to make sure his, his other son, uh, his brother now, Jehoiakim, will be king because he's evil, and he'll listen to us. And so they install him as king, and he undoes everything that Josiah did. So now the nation is just in disarray. And that's where our boy Habakkuk steps in. And in verse 1, he tells us exactly what type of message this is going to be. Verse 1 says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle there, uh, the Hebrew word is uh, the, the burden that Habakkuk saw. So Habakkuk has this weighty, heavy message that he, is gonna, he has now seen and he has to carry and it has to be now displayed for nations to, to read for thousands of years. And so just a heads up, this is a very weighty, heavy 
sermon. Because that's what this text is. It's a very heavy burden. We're dealing with weighty matters that don't have cookie-cutter answers. That you can't just say, well, here's the answer to that. Habakkuk saw the message. It's kind of like the, the John in Revelation, that he sees things and tries to write them down. Um, he says, God tells him to look. Don't look away. Look at the ugliness of your nation. Look and gaze at the pain. I think many of us, when we see pain, we want to do anything to distract ourselves and to look away. We want to escape, escape from whatever, whatever it is. We want to escape into books and movies and drugs and whatever it may be. We want to not look. And God's saying, look at it. See it. And Habakkuk then complains in verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? And then in verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? And these are the two questions I think humanity has been asking for years and years and years is how long and why? I think I have an answer for, for who is God? God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have an answer for what is God? I have an answer for where is God, but I don't have an answer for why. I don't have an answer for how long. And there are, there are thousands of, of commentaries that will tell you the same thing. Why? I don't know. How long? I don't know. The Bible gives us a lot to know about God, but one question that we cannot answer is why. And so Habakkuk is looking at the nation and he's looking at the violence. The word there is Hamas. It's this malicious action that occurs six times in, in this prophecy. And so it's the key to understanding why Habakkuk is so upset. It's all violence. Violence is everywhere. Revival is happening. Why would you let this happen? Why would you let violence come in and tear everything apart when revival was there? You understand this feeling, yes? You ever, you've understand this feeling when you said, why God? Like, didn't you know the plan that I had for us? This past week, I went and saw a film recounting some of Waco's history. And I got to see some of the darker sides of our city. In May of 1916, there was a boy named Jesse Washington, 17-year-old black boy, who was arrested and then convicted for killing a woman named Lucy Fryer, who was a 53-year-old white woman. So he was arrested, and seven days later, he's in trial. Right here in Waco. Right here in Waco at the courthouse. Right here in Waco that you can drive downtown and see right here in Waco. And oddly enough, Lady Justice is not hanging up there right now. And it took all of four minutes for a group of 12 white men to convict this Jesse Washington, that he was guilty. And when the pronouncement of guilty comes out, a mob rushes the court and takes Jesse out the back and they wrap a chain around him and they attach the chain to a car and they drive him around town, dragging his body around town. all the while beat, brutally stabbing him and beating him. At the same time, another mob gets together outside of the mayor's office by a tree and gets a, book, a, box, a bunch of dry boxes together 
and sets them on fire. So when Jesse's being drugged all the way in town, he gets back to this tree. They hang him from the tree. And they lift him up and down into the fire after covering his body with coal oil. Hours of this. It wasn't just a group of people. There was 15,000 to 20,000 people there at the time, which was like half the city at the time. Men, women, children, business owners, politicians, police, all looking. In fact, there's a picture of a dad holding his son up so that he could see it. I mean, it was so vile and so gruesome. They took souvenirs from it. They took fingers and ears and teeth. Why, God? Why would you let that happen? Why would you let 15,000 people watch in amusement? I mean, the Feral Center holds 10,000 people, right? I mean, that's a lot of people watching that. Affirming it, being a part of a lynching. Why do you just let injustice continue? Why don't you step in? Like that, 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 that it baffles me that you would let that pain come into this world and then to let all of these city people of Waco watch in amusement. And that racism continues to this day, and we just simply choose not to see. But Habakkuk sees. Habakkuk sees, I mean, that, that we, we can see too if we look in Waco. A couple years ago, in Waco, a 15-year-old girl was taken hostage. She was taken hostage by a 51-year-old man while dozens of men would pay to come visit her. She was taken for a month. Then in 2015, our sheriff began online sting operations where they would post a fake post of an underage girl looking for something. And within hours, almost 100 men responded. That's in our city. That's gross. I mean, why, God? Why? That's vile. When doctors take scissors and jam them in the back of the neck of a baby to break the spinal cord. Why? How long, O oh Lord? Are you awake? Are you asleep? What are you doing? When was the last time you've actually really asked why? When you said, why? Where are you? And belt it and said, why, Lord? Some of us have had miscarriages. Say, why? Why would you let that happen? Some of you guys, your, your bodies are worrying against you. You're in chronic pain. You're saying, I can't believe in the goodness of the human body when my body is my enemy. Why? That's Habakkuk's cr- prayer and crying violence and saying, you don't, you do not even save. You claim to save, but you're not saving. Verse 3, why do you idly look at wrong? Are you doing anything in heaven? 
Because if you could, some of us are drowning here. We need help. So God is good all the time. It doesn't feel like it right here when we look at the violence. But something improbable kicks in and God answers back to Habakkuk. I mean, with how boldly Habakkuk is yelling at God, God responds back and doesn't just smite him. (laughs) Habakkuk is wrestling with God and God says in verse 5, Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And you're thinking, okay, okay, now I'm seeing some hope. God's going to swoop in and bring fire down on this violence of this world. And you think, what a verse. Look, see, wonder, be astounded. Something so amazing, something so unbelievable, so breathtaking, you're not going to believe it even if I told you about it. Can you believe that? Let's look at it. Look, be so amazed. Wait for it. Here comes verse 6. I'm raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the same thing. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. This verse, the verse 5 of look and be astounded, something, I'm going to do something so phenomenal in your years. I've seen that verse on the back of youth group t-shirts. I've been a part of a youth camp that that was the theme. It just feels like it has so much hope. Oh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. He's lifting up an evil nation to crush them. That's why context is key. That's why we we read through books of the Bible, so we understand what God's actually saying here. The Babylonians were going to bring evil and injustice to answer Habakkuk's prayer about evil and injustice. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, God's thinking things are bad. Okay, gotcha. You need help? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up an evil nation to enslave you. I mean, the Babylonians were bad dudes. The Bible here tells us a little bit about who the, what they're going to be. They were dreaded and fearsome. They were fast in how they, they approached. They were violent. They gathered, gathered captives like sand, the amount of slaves they owned. The Babylonians were known for that when they did take you captive, they would get a family together and they would kill your children in front of you. And then they would gouge out your eyes. So the very last thing you see was your children dying. And then they would take fish hooks and put them in your mouths and drag you off into slavery, into captivity. That's what verse 15 and 16 are about, about this fish imagery, that you are now just fish to them, that they're just bringing into their, their slavery. They were bad dudes. And God says, yeah, that nation, I'm going to use them to advance my kingdom. I mean, that's astonishing on so many levels. You might be thinking like, are you kidding me? That's like God capturing one of you here today and saying, hearing your prayers and saying, oh, I understand, I understand. It's, it's going to be okay. I'm going to raise up North Korea to slaughter you. I mean, you think... Okay, so before I thought, I, I used to ask why and how long, and I, I said I knew the questions of, of who you are and, and, and what you are. But now, I'm not, I'm not sure about that anymore. I mean, who are you? Who are you that you would have let this happen to use evil? You're going to use wicked nations and bring them into power? Now, I don't know much, but I'm pretty sure that's not who you are. Who am I talking to at this moment? And that's exactly Habakkuk's response, which I love that he's not just the 
kind of this fake Christian or fake Jew of just saying like, yes, Lord, yes, okay, I humbly submit to your will. That sounds terrific. I mean, he is gritting his response, and he's about to get real honest with God. Verse 12, he says, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. I mean, his response is close to saying, are you kidding me? Are you nuts? That ridiculous, ludicrous nation, the stinking Babylons, the one, I thought you were supposed to be infinite. You're supposed to be from everlasting. You're supposed to know stuff. And you're letting them come to power? Are you ever honest with God like this? I mean, have you ever wrestled with God in prayer like this? I think if we don't wrestle with God in prayer like this, we take the backbone out of our prayers. We rob ourselves of actually the, of having the hope that He would actually do something. If we, if we just say, yes, Lord, whatever, your will be done, which we want to say at one point, and trust the Lord's will, but still wrestle with God, we lose something. He goes back to God and he says, okay, here's what I know about you. Verse 13, you who are of pure eyes to see evil and cannot look at wrong. He's trying to say, okay, here's what I know about God. You're pure. I mean, the purity of God is something that was instilled in them all the time in their land, that they had to be pure and clean. Their camp had to be holy because of the Lord's presence in their midst. In fact, you couldn't approach God in the Lord's sanctuary unless you were, unless you were sanctified, unless you actually were able to come in clean in front of him. And so if you who are pure, how is it that you're looking at something so unpure and so vile and allowing it to go? Something's inconsistent here. You who are holy is allowing something very unholy. And it's not that he's just looking on and seeing it. It's this look and in, in, in not just observation, but of approval. Leviticus 5, God's own word says, one who witnesses sin and remains silent partakes of the guilt of sin. So how could God keep quiet? Is he not a part of it now? How has God let Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego go off into slavery? How is he just allowing the Holocaust to happen? Now, the Holocaust, we only think, usually think of Hitler in, in World War II, but the Holocaust happened to the Jews multiple times with Assyria, with Babylon, with Rome. How is he allowing the Holocaust to happen over and over and over again? And so God looks on evil and it appears that he does nothing. So what does that tell us about the very nature of God? This is a huge, huge questions. This is what philosophers like Epicurus are calling or are asking and it's called the problem of evil. I mean, this... It's a problem we have to figure out. The problem of evil is, is essentially this. If God is all-powerful, he could stop evil. He could stop it because he's powerful. If God is all-good, he would want to stop evil. But evil exists. We see it. So what does that say about those two things? Either he's not all-powerful, that he can't stop it, or he's not good. In fact, he wants you to be in pain. Or there just is no God. So if he could, he would. That's the problem of evil. Why is he not stepping in? 
And so Habakkuk is finally asking the why question. I mean, the, 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 when you're a kid, you're asking why of your parents. Have you ever done that? You think, why this? Why that? And maybe you have a kids asking that of you. Why this? And it goes forever and ever. Finally, it ends with, because I told you so. Habakkuk is finally asking the why question. Why is that happening? Why would you let that happen? In fact, why did you even allow sin into the world? Why did you allow Satan to tempt Adam and Eve? I mean, ugh. Why? Habakkuk knows he's sovereign, and that's why it's a problem. Because something inconsistent is happening here. And this is why I believe that those most theologically conservative should be most socially active. Those most theologically conservative should be most socially active, should be involved in social justice, and should be involved in protecting the city. Because a lot of times when we're theologically conservative, we say, oh, God's sovereign. God's sovereign. He'll take care of these things. He's sovereign. But if he is sovereign and these things are are not just happening but growing in, in, in alarming rates, then what does it say about the sovereignty of God? Then we have to go back with Habakkuk and say, why, Lord? How long? And God utilizes your sovereignty and God uses your prayers in asking, why, Lord, how long to accomplish his will? When we wrestle with God, we may get punched in the soul, but we're in it. (laughs) We're wrestling with God there. Habakkuk is wrestling with God in painful ways, and the psalmists do this, right? The psalmist asks, you know, where is God? Job does this. Where is God? How long? Where are you? And I love God's response to Job. I mean, it's, it's a scary one. God responds to Job, says, where am I? Where are you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the, of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Have you seen the bottom of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. No more questions. (laughs) I mean, the Lord responds, says, don't you dare ask me, what am I doing? Am I idle? I've been doing so much. I've been doing so much. It will blow your mind. I've been doing something that if you would just look outside of yourself, look outside of your borders, look internationally and see this nation that I'm raising up in Babylon. They're going to advance my kingdom far more than you ever would. What do you think is happening on the other side of the world right now? Do you know what's happening in the world right now? I know. And God could ask you that this question this morning. What's happening on the other side of the world right now? Do you know? He could even ask you, what's happening in the nursery right now? Do you know? I know. I know exactly what's happening in the nursery. I know all the children in there. I know them by name. I know them very intimately, and I love them. God could ask you, do you know what, do you know, have you ever seen the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean? You, you don't even have enough names for all the fish that I've created. And I spoke them into existence, and they're all working for my glory. But Iran, North Korea, Russia, all these fearful nations, I know what's going on there, and I have it in my control, I have it in my hands. 
Habakkuk would say, but Babylon? Not, not them. Maybe if you brought angels to bring judgment upon us, but Babylon? I mean, they're evil. They're wicked. How could that be good? Do you remember earlier, God said, I'm going to do something that you would not even believe if you, t- you were told? And then he tells them, tells Habakkuk, and then Habakkuk doesn't believe? <laughs> Just because we can't understand doesn't mean we don't, he doesn't have a reason for it. After each holocaust that happened, as the Jews were brought into slavery, some stayed back and some went forward, and through forced evils and slavery, God advanced his kingdom. And so that some Jews stayed back to reach the Babylonians. So that when the, the Greeks took power, they actually have a Greek language that we now use to understand our Bibles to advance his kingdom. When, the, when Rome took power and the whole world was all interconnected now so that people can move out freely, God advanced his kingdom in this way. Do you think Habakkuk could have ever saw that? In the aftermath of the Waco horror, of this, this ugly, ugly, ugly lynching, this thing where the whole nation looked on Waco and said, What is happening there? And this ugly thing that happened, this atrocity in the lynching of Jesse Washington, the world saw because of how public it was, because of how how horrific it was, that was so public, the world, America finally saw how ugly it is and how horrific the human heart is and that it actually pushed to have lynchings outlawed, that God actually used it God may say, you're you're just looking at Waco. But I'm going to end racism worldwide. You're just looking at Waco, and I'm going to end human trafficking worldwide. I'm going to end the orphan crisis. I'm going to be doing something so unbelievable, you would not even believe it if you were told. So God uses injustice and evil to bring justice and good. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Paul quotes this passage here in Habakkuk as he's preaching the gospel in Acts. And he says, I'll bring salvation and good out of something evil and disaster so that God would bring good from bad. And that principle finds its ultimate expression at the cross that God brings something good for something very evil. And the ultimate why, God, I mean, the pinnacle of all of the problems of evil, all of these questions run through the cross. And so we could say, it's not fair. Why, Lord? How long? Why would you let your son be stabbed and drugged through the streets? Why would you let him be crucified and beaten? How long, O Lord? All of those questions run through the cross because there Jesus was treated unfairly. There, a father lost a loved one. There, we see ultimate evil, something beautiful. Salman Rushdie says, the barbarians were not only at our gates, but within our skins. We're the barbarians. (laughs) And this stuff isn't just happening in Waco, it's in my heart. 
Why does God let good things happen to bad people? I don't know, but thank God he does because he lets a very good thing happen to a very bad person. And that's the gospel. And that he lets a very good thing happen to very, very bad people. Why does he let a very, very bad thing, an evil thing happen to a good person, the only good person to ever actually exist in Jesus? Praise the Lord. That's the gospel. That he lets evil happen to a good person. And we benefit from it. He's that sovereign. And he would overwork evil for good. You wouldn't even believe, even if you were told. And so, yes, God is good. All the time. And all the time. Let's pray.